Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Cynthia Kao and Josh Carter. Welcome, everyone, to the Veteran Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Kao. And with me today is Michael Madrid and Donnie Brazil from Project Buna. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you too. I'm sorry Josh couldn't uh, attend. We've kind of been missing each other on weeks. He's He's got his internet down and then I was out of town our, our last production. So at some point it's going to be another reunion when we get to do a podcast co-hosting again, but it's always great to meet you, you know, that we doing things by yourself. Sometimes you just get a little bit of a different dynamic. So you get me all to yourself today. I'm really excited to have both of you um, here as co-founders of Project Buna. And normally we have vets on this show and you guys are both active duty right now. Um, so that's exciting. You know, tell me a little bit about yourselves, Mike. Sure. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a Naval Academy grad. I, I commissioned in 2014 uh, as a surface warfare officer. I did two overseas tours, uh, one on a destroyer based in Yokosuka, Japan, uh, followed by a destroyer based in Rota, Spain, which is where I met Donnie. Mm-hmm. And uh, those those were fantastic years. A lot of um, forward deployed time, uh, a lot of great experience. You know, operating, uh, leading sailors, working with uh, allies and partners. Uh, at the end of 2018, I came back to DC, and I've been on a Pentagon staff job since then. Uh, it's given me uh, a little bit of bandwidth with um, you know the the chain of command's permission, of course, uh, to do a couple things on the side. Um, I lead a, a national nonprofit. Uh, where I probably we we probably share some connections via Operation Code, some of the same circles. Yeah, for sure. Um, but then in 2019, uh, Donnie and I launched this company, and it's been uh, two years as of this month, actually, uh, wow. building this business together. So I'll pass it over to Donnie. Yeah. So um, I enlisted in the Navy in 2001. Um, I was uh, an electronics technician, and then. Um, Went through a handful of duty stations, a couple aircraft carriers, and then uh, I earned a commission uh, via the limited duty officer program. And I am uh, currently a surface electronics LDO. Okay. Um, Once I commissioned, I was stationed on an aircraft carrier out in Japan and then uh, out to Spain where Mike and I met, as he alluded to. Then I progressed on to a, a job here in the National Capital Region. And then I recently uh, just went back to another ship. So I'm currently serving on board a ship down in Norfolk. Oh, wow. I did not realize you both are so close to me. I'm here um, in Northern Virginia, just outside the D.C. area. So it's it's fairly rare. We get some folks that are in the National Capital Region, but most of our guests are um, in various places. And so it's kind of cool to meet somebody so close to home. But, um, you know, Josh is missing out totally because he was a former sailor and and would totally love to pick your brain on what you guys do. But bring me back a little bit and and tell me, why did you decide, Mike, to go into the academy? Why the Navy? That's a, that's a, as they say, a good question. Um, so I grew up, uh, I'll start with the cliche. I grew up watching Top Gun, uh, wanted to, <laughs> Donnie's laughing. Awesome <laughs> to movie. Fighter jets. 
Uh, I'm of course the only person in the world who ever uh, thought that growing up. Uh, I, uh, I was actually in uh, Air Force Junior ROTC, to, uh, got some exposure to, um, to the Air Force as well. Um, I applied to both West Point and the Naval Academy, uh, waited up until almost the last minute to decide, actually, I, I was drawn towards West Point uh, to, to go lead Army, uh, Army infantry. That, that sounded really appealing, and I had some mentors who had done that for their career. Uh, but at the end, flying one out, and I said, I'm going to go to the Naval Academy and go be a pilot. So I studied aerospace engineering. Uh, I was in the, the the flying association. I spent my summer uh, with the test pilot squadron out in Patuxent River. I had eye surgery. I did all the things uh, to go be a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but close to my, my senior year, uh, I had uh, another mentor there who said, based on what I know about you, Mike, uh, you love working with people. You love flexibility and a wide variety of of different experiences in your career track. And I think you should at least check out the the ship thing, the surface warfare thing. And I'm pretty sure I laughed at him in his office. I said, "No, I'm going to go be a fighter pilot." Um, but I at least went on a summer cruise on a ship uh, based in Japan, actually, uh, and that was a, a, a definitely a, a impactful experience. Uh, I spent another year kind of looking at both communities and, and doing a lot of thinking and soul searching. Um, and obviously I chose to, to go surface warfare, uh, and haven't regretted that decision, except maybe when the blue angels go by overhead, you know, you always want to be a fighter pilot somewhere in you, but, uh, it's been, so, it's been a great opportunity. So did that mentor ever come back and say, I told you so? <laughs> we do keep in touch to this day. So <laughs> that's cool. You know, it's really interesting to see, you know, your own journey and the people that have influenced you, you know, to make decisions. Um, so that's always, it's always good to kind of keep in touch with people in the past that have influenced you. Um, Donnie, what was your story about enlisting in the Navy? Yeah. So my story is probably somewhat typical in a way. So after high school, well, rewind. In high school, I was an athlete, um, but I had no aspirations of being a college athlete. I didn't uh, think that I had what it um, required. Well, my senior year, I started getting recruited to, to play uh, football, some smaller colleges, and uh, a couple of schools wanted me to be on their crew team and row for them. Well, I uh, decided to ditch my ultimate plan of becoming an architect and uh, try to live the dream of being a, a collegiate athlete. And I <clears throat> decided to go to school in Nebraska. Well, I got homesick, ironically, given the <laughs> career that I chose and uh, dropped out and uh, ended up going back home. And I was working, you know, to figure out what I was going to do. Working two jobs, a um, couple of my friends joined, uh, one joined the Air Force, a couple joined the Navy. And uh, one day I was driving from one job to the next. And uh, as I usually would, I would be getting a Subway sandwich. <laughs> well, the Subway, the Subway restaurant was next door to the recruiting station. And I was just having that kind of day. And I just said, you know what? What the heck? So I went over there. Uh, the Navy guys were the only two in the office, <laughs> and uh, that's uh, how it all began. I uh, started talking to them, and about two months later, I was uh, headed off to boot camp. Oh wow! And that yeah. was, and you said what? What year was that? Did you say that was in two thousand one? Okay. Um, I I went off to boot camp in uh, April two thousand one, so just before nine eleven. Wow. 
Yeah, I was going to say when 9-11 happened, how did that impact uh, your thoughts of, of getting into the military? Um, it was actually kind of wild. So uh, I was in, uh, went through boot camp, then I was in Great Lakes doing my electronics training. And I had an opportunity to take some leave, my first leave uh, in between two different schools. And I was actually home in Oregon, uh, where I'm originally from, uh, the morning of, of September 11th. And woke up to the second plane flying into the uh, tower. And I was kind of shell-shocked because here I am, a new military person, and this is all happening. And I honestly didn't know what to do. So I got on the phone, tried to get in touch with people back in Great Lakes while they were all in lockdown. Well, I ended up, they extended my leave, and I was kind of stuck in Oregon for about three weeks until the airport situation cleared up. And then they were allowing uh, military members to get on planes and flew back and finished my initial training, but it was, you know, a pretty shocking experience for me yeah. as, as it was for everybody else. But yeah, I was in initial training at that time. Yeah, for sure. And I can imagine right now, you know, I just got to pay respects to um, the service members that we lost last week and coming up on the 20th anniversary of OEF, you know, I've been busy talking to fellow vets, other people that are active duty transitioning out and we're, you know, there's a lot of folks that are trying to grapple with what did I do with the last 20 years of my life in service to my country, in service to rebuilding Afghanistan and and next steps. And so it's kind of timely that we're talking to two active duty sailors about your next steps and where you see yourself. And, you know, how how are your thoughts just kind of paying homage to this for a second? How are your thoughts with what's happening right now and, you know, your service and, you know, are there plans to get out anytime soon or do you guys see yourselves in for quite a bit? Yeah. So for me, it's been kind of uh, an interesting couple of weeks. So I'm on a ship that's actually in uh, an availability period, a long availability period. Um, so there, the schedule is kind of um, long-term thinking, well, when the, the stuff happened a few weeks ago and the lead up to it, um, the discussion for the, the crew uh, rapidly changed and people started, you know, asking questions. The junior guys were worried about um, what we were going to be doing, when, where, what. Well, the mission is get the ship ready. So we're continuing our maintenance phase. Uh, for me personally, uh, I just went over 20 years of service. Um, I'll be up for promotion next year. Uh, fingers crossed. I, I I have that in the cards and and I'm selected. But the reality of it is, uh, my fiance she's uh, active duty as well. I've had a career, mm -hmm. and it's winding down toward the end, and she's just starting her career. And so, to a point, um, I'm going to make that decision based off of my ability to to stay with her. Um, I would like to promote. I would like to stick it out uh, as long as the Navy will have me. But the reality is. Uh, I've had a career, and I, I think that this coffee situation is providing uh, a valid opportunity to to move on when when the time's ready. Got it. Yeah, I've definitely been um, wearing both hats before, where I was an active duty spouse, and I was a reservist, and you know I activated to deploy twice. So it was literally like both of us being dual military, two ships passing in the night, so to speak, and. Um, it's, it's definitely difficult. I think it would be, um, I think it's awesome to have you support, you know, her career as well. And, 
um, kudos to all the military spouses listening out there because it's definitely not an easier job. I always say that it was harder to be a military spouse than it was to be a service member, to be honest. For sure, for sure. And Mike, do you have any plans um, to get out on anytime soon or are you staying in? I do. I've, I've actually already started the process. So I'm about nine months out from separation. Uh, and as many of the listeners probably know, it's, it's about a year long process from when you initiate it. So it's, it's been underway for a little bit here. Um, I'll have hit the, the eight year mark by the time I'm transitioned out. Uh, I am, uh, headed for the technology sector. Okay. Um, my passion's always definitely been, uh, in tech and in emerging technology right now. I'm, I'm really investigating, uh, the new space sector and all the really exciting things that are happening with the commercialization of, of space. Um, I'm, I'm attracted to startups, uh, to, to high growth, small disruptive teams. So, um, looking at a lot of, uh, different opportunities there, uh, and, and project Buna, the, the coffee business still fits in with that. I think, you know, people ask if I'm getting out to, to go full-time into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think the, the answer is full-time, um, solely in the coffee company, because like I said, um, there's some other, the other areas I want to grow into as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, Don, Donnie and I had this interesting experience as founders, uh, non-conventional in probably several ways. One of those was uh, when we started the business, we knew he was going to uh, PCS. Uh, to, he was going to have a permanent uh, change of station uh, about two years after we started the company. And, and that's what he just spoke about earlier, moving down mm-hmm. to the ship uh, in Norfolk, uh, moving down there from DC. And I knew that I would probably transition at either two and a half or three years uh, from when we started the company. So we always had this this sort of timeline superimposed on the trajectory of the company. And so it shaped our thinking in a couple of ways. Uh, I think we, you know, would have looked at that uh, uh, time that he moved and we kind of split geographic locations. We would have looked at that either as a time to wind down the company if it was, you know, not being uh, successful, in which case we knew we would have, you know, had two years of invaluable learning and experience. And we were still going to be really excited about that. Um, or the business would be going well, and we would want to uh, continue operations. And um, for me, you know, hopefully over the next couple of years, uh, that looks like uh, maybe more more strategic uh, roles and kind of stepping back from from day to day operations. Uh, you know, the, the literal bagging of coffee beans and fulfilling of orders. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's definitely coffee's been a passion of ours for a while now, um, as you'll be able to tell. And uh, I'll always want to be, you know, involved in and helping this company grow. Yeah, that's a great pivot point, to be honest. So tell me how you guys both met in Spain. Why coffee? I mean, how did you guys bond over coffee? Um, so I was sitting, as many of the listeners know, um, the military runs on coffee and caffeine. Um, I didn't like the ship coffee, uh, I'll be frank. Um, it was always overdone, way too stale, burnt, whatever. It's been sitting on the pot for an hour, mm-hmm. two hours, three hours. Well, anyway, um, it was a mid-watch. I went up to the bridge for my rounds, and somebody had this glorious smelling coffee and uh, offered me a cup. And it, in a moment, changed the way I understood coffee. So uh, I was instantly intrigued. Uh, started talking about it in the wardroom, um, started doing research. And then I quickly realized that there were way too many coffee options out there for me to really experience them all. And so 
uh, I, I can't remember if it was lunch or, or breakfast, but uh, Mike was sitting uh, there and I was like, hey, I think we should start a, a club. And so we uh, spitballed a little bit and we launched what we deemed the Coffee Buyers Club, the Donald Cook Coffee Buyers Club. And so the, the membership was, you just had to contribute to the club. You had to order coffee from your favorite roasters and then you could you could partake in, in the coffee drinking. Well, we didn't realize how, how successful it was going to be, how popular it was going to be. Well, we suddenly had two to three thousand dollars worth of coffee in our wardroom at any given time. Wow. And we were able to sample at our uh, you know leisure. And so that was my personal uh, launch into the coffee space and, and enjoying it and appreciating it. Well, then I moved to the DC area. Mike was uh, shortly after me. I uh, hit him up and said, hey, let's, let's go hang out. And uh, we went out and I was like, I think we should start a company. I think we're here on shore duty and it's an excellent opportunity to start a company. So we talked about what our options were and we, by the end of that conversation, it kind of, you know, was obvious to us that we had a passion and an interest in coffee mm-hmm. and it had a, uh, some options for low, low barrier to entry. And uh, we decided that that's the route that we were going to go on. What, what were some barriers in getting the company stood up and off the ground? Well, I, I actually think we had a really good experience. So from that first uh, uh, get together that Donnie just described to the day that we publicly launched, the company was just under six months, which was a pretty short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a you know there's a variety of things around incorporating you know your business and working through the legal and the administrative things and the tax and and all of the the sort of not fun stuff. I'll speak briefly to the the coffee industry specifically. During those six months, we went through uh, many different business ideas, many different startup ideas, um, and you know, tried to research the markets for those, validate those. If you had asked us at one point, we would have been selling canned cold brew, like is very popular now. We went through a lot of ideas. Um, fundamentally, we returned to the simple idea of being a coffee roaster mm-hmm. uh, because we had we had started to be in the coffee world, and when you're in the coffee world, everyone speaks with you know a certain vernacular, a certain jargon. Everyone has a basic level of understanding or a high level of understanding of coffee. And we just realized that there were still you know many, many people, many people in our circles, many people in the military who still had never just even had that first experience of how good coffee could be. And they really hadn't started on that journey into uh, what's called specialty coffee, you may hear third wave coffee. And so we wanted to like focus on that group of people, that group of the market that you know, are coffee drinkers, um, but have not really tried specialty. You know, maybe they've, maybe they think they only like dark roasts and have never had a light roast they enjoy. Maybe they think they can't stand coffee black. Uh, maybe they haven't really tried to make it at home, um, but are interested in that. And so we kind of wanted to have the spirit of exploration and, and kind of guiding people through the transformation that we had had on the ship through that coffee buyers club. And to be a coffee roaster, you, you know, you imagine a, a large roasting machine. Those are five digits easily uh, in expense. You think about um, needing to, to rent or lease a space. Well, there's a couple of, of models in the coffee roasting industry specifically called toll roasting and slot roasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could go into that if, if it's interesting, but 
uh, essentially we were able to partner with, uh, started with one uh, established coffee roaster, and now we have three different partners. We work with those folks to create our uh, product. Um, you know, we still have all of the creative, uh, creative direction, creative ownership. Um, but partnering with their facilities specifically allowed us to, to start the company and start shipping product without actually buying a five-digit uh, roaster, without actually buying our own space. And you know, we started as an e-commerce company, and we 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 have held true to that for two plus years. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, when when COVID hit and all of the coffee shops, the physical storefronts had to shut down, and we're going through a really hard time. Uh, we were thankful that we didn't have a physical footprint, but that we were already optimized for. You know, people drinking coffee at home, people were stuck at home during the pandemic. Um, and we thought, you know, we could offer them the same quality coffee that they could have gotten by going out to a coffee shop in the old days, as it were. Right. Uh, and so that was that was definitely a helpful business model during the last year and a half. Yeah, for sure. I think just pivoting and having to be, you know, like for myself, you know, most of my work pre-pandemic was video production. And then when the pandemic hit, a lot of my friends in the film and TV industry were definitely hit super hard. They were completely dried up. And it's only just started to kind of come back on on a very slow trickle. But um, because of my work in the digital space and in the tech world, I pivoted pretty quickly. Um, But I think, you know, every store, every retail store that doesn't realize they are a tech industry or a tech uh, company needs to rethink their brand. Because I think even Walmart, you know, Sam's Club, um, Home Depot, they've got a very significant tech arm where their entire platform is digital and you've got customers that want to buy online and have that that ease and look through reviews, uh, returns, that sort of thing. Um, so it's really uh, creative and interesting that you guys also demystified the the basics of coffee, really. You're, you're taking away the snootiness of coffee carnosaurs, artisan coffee. And I mean, talk to me about the people might might be listening and remembering their field days of drinking black muck, you know, that just basically it just kept you up and kept you going. But um, what's the difference between for somebody paying for cheap coffee and going, oh, I could buy this can of, you know, whatever coffee at like, you know, two cents a cup compared to buying artisan coffee, like what, where, where's the support and where's the incentive for getting better uh, beans, better um, uh, roasting process. Talk talk to me about like the mission and the concept of Project Buna. Yeah, uh, that's a a fun one for us. So before COVID uh, really hit, we were doing a lot of pop-ups around the national capital region. Um, You know, gyms would be doing something or a, a, one of the local uh, corporations might have a, a team building workshop or, or whatever it is. And we would always set up a table and we would talk to them uh, and serve coffee and, and try to make people understand what the difference is. And nine times out of 10, when a person comes up to us, they are 100% convinced that they like the darkest of dark, dark coffees. And that's fine to each their own. Uh, One of our uh, mottos is is the the best coffee is the coffee you like the way you like it. But we're here to uh, present you something that you may not have tried before. So we would always have a really dark roasted coffee available for them to, to compare and contrast. And then we would serve them side by side. a real light roasted coffee, like a a natural Ethiopian that's real Mm -hmm. weird and and out there. You'd never had those flavors before in a coffee. 
And the look on their face when they try the light roasted coffee, it's almost they, their jaw drops. Um, and, and same thing goes for people that, that swear they have to have milk and, and sugar, cream and sugar in their coffee. We'll pour them a, a well-roasted uh, single origin from, say, Guatemala. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I pour them that and it's nice and sweet and it's black coffee, but it's black coffee that they've never experienced before. And so it's just a, a moment in time when you present something that is not traditional, it opens people's eyes and they realize, okay, there is something different here. It's just not coffee. I don't need this burnt, this roasty, this oily experience that I need to cloak in, you know, 500 calories of cream and sugar. I can actually have this wonderful beverage. I just need to learn about it. And so the second their eyes are opened, they start uh, asking questions. And then the next thing you know, we're, we're selling them coffee and they're some of our best and, and repeat customers coming back once or twice a month. And it's, it's really funny that you use the word demystify because that was one of the words in our mission statement and a lot of our you know, brand formulation early on, this idea that we wanted to break down barriers and make this world of specialty coffee, third wave coffee, just make it more accessible, Yeah, um, meet people where they are and bring them into it rather than erect a barrier where, you know, I, I look down on you because you put milk and, and sugar in your coffee or, uh, you, you know, any of the, those other not productive, um, off-putting kinds of attitudes. And one tangible way we've, we've tried to do that over time is, um, let's take tasting notes, for example, those flavors that you see on the bag of coffee, when you look at it in the store, mm-hmm. uh, you know, naturally as, as you might guess, it's, it's a subjective call. There are probably, you know, categories of flavors that both Donnie and I will taste in a coffee together, but he may taste, you know, sour cherry, and I might taste a a different type of fruit, like a, like a watermelon. And that's obviously that's okay. And so on our bags and on our website, we have taken to um, putting Donnie's experience and Mike's experience. Um, Part of that is, is certainly that our brand is, you know, two Navy guys, two guys, and, and we try to shine that through in the brand, but Part of it is also just like recognizing that he smells and tastes different things and he prefers to brew it a certain way. Uh, and I might have a, a different experience. And then we invite the customer, the consumer to share with us what they tasted and what they took away and smelled. And so we're not dictating to you. Uh, we're not lecturing you on coffee. That's that's a huge part of our brand and mission. Yeah. So do you guys have like um, classes that where you can teach people about, you know, the different regions and then how it's grown and... Um, generally the difference between, you know, like you said, the Ethiopian blend versus like a Costa Rican or Guatemalan. Yeah. The, uh, the listeners might think we organized uh, these segues um, because of how perfect <laughs> they are. But we did not. <laughs> uh, so, so Donnie mentioned, you know, in that first year we're doing pop-ups and I think that's, that's great for any founder to, to get out there and, and experience uh, working directly with the customers, you know, learn from the market, learn from your consumers um, year went by, I think it was, uh, sort of on the first anniversary of the business, uh, and this, uh, and the start of the calendar year of 2020. And we sat down, we went through what I th- thought was a useful exercise, um, saying, you know, Donnie's going to move in about a year. Um, we may or may not, you know, shut down the company in a year. Uh, what will we have, what will we regret not having tried? What, what's on our list of crazy ideas 
that we would that we would regret not having gotten to if we did decide to close the company in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we didn't close the company, but that was a useful exercise because it helped us kind of prioritize uh, a couple of our crazier ideas. One of them is called Crowd Crafted Coffee, and this is the direct answer to your question um, and something we're both super passionate about because, uh, as you might imagine, the coffee roasting market is pretty saturated. Um, definitely saturated in DC, pretty saturated around the country. There's a lot of coffee roasters out there is, is what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Um, but crowdcrafted coffee is something unique. We haven't seen anyone else doing it. Um, it's, it's definitely something that we uh, are really excited uh, about growing as a product line or a product offering. And in crowdcrafted coffee, we bring together a group of people, a cohort of people. And um, over, uh, it might be a couple of days, it might be a couple of weeks. There's a, a variety of different formats, but we actually walk them through crafting their very own coffee and and being part of the creative process. And so we actually give them um, different options um, to choose on and to vote, uh, starting with, you know, what continent do you want to source an African coffee or a Central and South American coffee or an Asian coffee? And let's say they pick uh, Africa and then we'll teach them about um, different origin countries and then let them pick, do they want an Ethiopian coffee, Burundi, Kenya? What are the, what are the differences? What are the uh, producers? lives like at those origins, um, what's the history of coffee in those countries. And so let's say they pick uh, Ethiopia, obviously a popular uh, choice. Mm -hmm. Then we actually present the cohort with different, literally different lots of coffee. Um, Maybe one from Guji, maybe one from Jimma, maybe one from Sadamo. And we talk to them about what that region is like, the, the flavors that are likely to come through. We give them the backstory behind the producers, photos from the farm. You know, we have a, a really, um, wonderful relationship with a handful of high quality importers that help, you know, connect us directly to these origins and provide us this rich information. So we share that with the consumer. So they get to literally pick that coffee and we'll go out and we'll source it. We'll, we'll go buy that lot specifically for them. This is, this is really custom. It's not us, you know, taking something on our shelf and reselling it to them. Mm-hmm. We'll go custom contract for them. And, and then we, and then there's other things they get to customize the bag. They get to customize the label, the name, uh, you know, lots of fun stuff like that. It becomes a team building exercise. Um, it's, people have a lot of fun with it. They learn a lot about coffee. And then at the end, they have a tangible physical product that they had a, a hand and a voice in creating. They get to share it with their friends and family. It turns out delicious. Um, and we found that to to actually be taking off as a as a business model. Some sometimes we do it for uh, military units. Of course, there's a lot of you know camaraderie and a spirit of core with with uh, units in the military, but we've done it for private companies, for their employees. We've done it for teachers unions. Uh, we've done it for um, nonprofits actually as a fundraiser and raised mm-hmm. a, a special amount of money for them. So it, it's pretty versatile and it allows us to really pursue that mission of kind of bringing people into the world of coffee. Nice. And I, I want to touch on your brand because you, you were bringing, bringing up all these different countries, you know, that have wonderful coffees. Um, and before I even looked at your website, I'm like, oh, Buna, because I spent time in Ethiopia. So I'm like, I know that. Nice. And I noticed you're, you've got uh, Amharic in your logo. So tell me about choosing, you know, this brand and then choosing to put in um, you know, stay true to some of these farmers' um, roots because each one of your blends represents a different region. Yeah. So in our uh, lead up to launching the company, we went through the process of what is the purpose of our company? How are we approaching it? Why are we doing it? What's the story that we want to tell? And we quickly understood that 
Uh, it's the beginning of our business life uh, as entrepreneurs, as founders. And we're telling coffee's story just as much as we're telling our story. And it's, you know, it's known that wild coffee, uh, specifically Arabica coffee, is likely found uh, its roots in Ethiopia. Uh, some plants were in Yemen, but uh, definitely Ethiopia is in the, the beginnings of coffee for humans. And so we're like, we need, we need to really consider what the history of coffee is and what, what does it mean in Ethiopia? And we realized that as we started doing our deep research, that this was turning into a project. Mm. And learning how to run a business was a project. And everything that we were talking about required us to take the time to really dive in and understand it and so that we could do it well. Well, we did some research on what is the what is the word for coffee in Ethiopia? And it was Buna. That's the, the anglicized spelling of it, B-U-N-A. Um, but then the Amharic characters, they just struck us as being appropriate uh, to incorporate into our, our, our logo and our branding. And then, so we're like, how do we work Buna? Well, it just kind of hit us. This is a project, so we're going with Project Buna. And uh, from there, it just made sense. Everything resonated with us, and we liked the stylization of the characters. Um, they, they're eye-catching. They're a conversation piece. And uh, it's a little tip of the cap to Ethiopia, the origins of coffee. Nice. Um, you know, you mentioned doing a lot of research and and working together. And, you know, it, a lot of this is it's hitting home because I do design thinking. And so, um, you know, you're trying to find out what what do people like with the crowdsourcing and you're teaching folks and you're listening and, and, and finding out, um, you know, how to move your business from just a concept to an actual business. What what are some lessons learned for both of you on just getting this company off the ground? And then as you've grown over the last couple of years. I'll start with a I'll start with a fun one or a funny one. Don't don't do your own taxes. Don't <laughs> don't try. <laughs> and obviously that's that's coming from a place of brutal experience. Our first year, we tried to do them ourselves. And literally we said to each other, we, we said, How hard this can, can this be? These are these are small numbers. We're a bootstrapped company for reference. So you know, we didn't have any outside investors. We had taken on no debt. We bootstrapped the business and when, uh, when the first tax season came along, we had only been around for, I think, half a year. So we said, we got to be able to do this ourselves. And I can't tell you how many um, reams of paper printing out IRS uh, publications, IRS forms, eyes bleeding uh, on the table, <laughs> trying to understand all of these myriad tax and legal uh, concepts. Um, and the end of that story is that is that we were saved by a, a, a close friend who um, I found out at the 11th hour, actually, as his side business, ran an accounting firm and was a professional in taxes. Nice. Uh, and we've been um, using the firm ever since. So um, founders, please just don't don't try. It's not worth your time. <laughs> Think about your time as money and, and valuable and as a resource and don't spend it on learning tax code. True. Um, but uh, to, to on a more serious note, I would probably just emphasize this theme of um, of, of building and of being hands-on. So... I know like drop shipping is a pretty uh, common business model out there and, and it works really well for a lot of folks. I think we take some pride in the fact that from day one, we've been um, producing our own uh, product. We you know, are literally sitting in the roastery, 
um, bagging coffee. We are, we've done our own, uh, actually up until this, this month, we had done all of our own uh, logo and graphic design work. Um, we actually just hired a graphic designer uh, at this point because we considered it a milestone to do some some more brand work. But you know, it was just very always very hands on. That was important to us. We thought we would learn a lot from that, and we certainly did. Um, and there's something there's something to be said for shipping product. There's something to be said for for building with your hands and and really being that involved. And so I just would always encourage people to to, to really dive in head first. To you know, not be not be afraid of what you don't know yet. Um, and then to, to find communities as well, because like I said, those, those partnerships in the early months were, were really what let us bootstrap and what let us get off the ground so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll pass it over to Donnie. What about you? Yeah, I would say that um, the number one lesson learned for me as, a, as an individual is get in the arena. Like, I, I think a lot of people have a, a fear of what they don't know. And um it's it's trial and error to a point. Now we have the luxury. We we had a, pr- a pretty good uh, day job, but getting out there and asking questions and and not being afraid to to ask people in the industry, um, go on uh, you know websites to learn the supply chain. Um, just don't be afraid. That was I, that's really what I was worried about at the beginning is not knowing what I don't know. Um, so really the, the big lesson learned for me was rip the bandaid off and get in there. Um, some other things, I, I guess, uh, one of the tendencies is to, to maybe say yes too much to, uh, people. Um, we, we partnered with some people early on that, um, took a lot of our time that could have been used elsewhere. Um, so don't be afraid to say no when it doesn't feel right. And then, the other, the other part is uh, you got to be humble. Um, Mike and I, we've had many uh, uh, meetings where we don't necessarily see eye to eye. Nothing really contentious, mm-hmm. but being humbled and open to other ideas and other opportunities. Um, if we had uh, allowed ourselves to to be contentious, we probably would have missed out on some great things that we're doing now. Um, so yeah, just I, I guess the biggest one for me was just getting in the arena. And being a part of the process. Yeah. What are uh, your goals for the future? What are some major milestones that you'd lo- you'd love to hit, or some dreams that you have for the company? Well, we are currently in the process of potentially negotiating a portion of a brick and mortar. Um, it's not going to necessarily be um, a coffee shop on our end. There, there will be a coffee shop in the space potentially. Mm-hmm. But our goal is to have, uh, for the lack of a better term, a coffee lab where we're able to do these crowd-crafted events and uh, have an education platform so that people can come and uh, experience coffee where coffee is being made. Um, We're also growing out our virtual uh, library of the crowd-crafted process so that we can continue to do these uh, virtually. Um, But those are the two big things immediately on the horizon, I, I think. What about you, Mike? Yeah, we one big milestone that we've we've sort of kicked off and, and started, um, but definitely will be a focus over the next one to two years, um, is another product line we just brought to market um, in, in the barrel resting space. Um, so this was a, sort of another, sprung from another one of those exercises of, you know, what's a crazy idea that we'll regret never having tried. 
Um, and we had some, some interesting ideas about how to do barrel rested coffee differently than what's on the market. I put out a whole Twitter thread about, you know, what I, what I think is, um, what I think was missing from the barrel rested coffee market and, and how we are trying to approach it differently. Um, and something else that was really interesting for us to learn from is we, we launched it as its own brand, as its own, um, it has its own name, its own whole brand guide. Uh, it was like launching, almost like launching another company. I mean, launching another brand for sure. And uh, we did that for a variety of reasons, but that was a really um, honestly fun and instructional um, process. And so uh, we are in the midst of that rollout right now. And I think establishing that it'll be a, a different, um, you know, slightly different market segment, a different marketing strategy, um, a slightly different ethos and mission. And so kind of developing that over the next couple of years will be really exciting and and a big part of that is testing out these um, kind of innovative ideas we have about different barrel bean combinations, different methods of resting, um, unconventional barrels to use, and, and some interesting things like that. There's so much I still don't know <laughs> about coffee. <laughs> you know, as you're talking, I like my mind, I could picture all these different roasting methods. And I'm like, I just drink the coffee. I mean, I do know <laughs> a lot about the regions, but there's just so much I don't know. Um, so I would love to attend like one of these classes or workshops to find out a little bit more and to learn about the farmers and like their process of farming yeah. and sustainable uh, coffee beans and what's the difference between free trade and organic and all of that, you know, all these buzzwords that are in the industry. Um, so, you know, last question for both of you, what is your favorite method of brewing? <laughs> um, I'm not going to make it a war. <laughs> no, no. For me, that's pretty easy. Uh, I'll, I'll even take it a step further. Um, my favorite is a natural Ethiopian via Chemex okay. all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. So I think we would probably have a company favorite brewing method because I am incredibly partial to the Chemex as well. Um, but to maybe give a different answer and to, to be uh, coffee uh, nerdy for a moment, um, there's a company out there called Ratio Coffee, uh -huh. uh, and they make incredibly uh, well-designed and high-end uh, brewing machines, uh, machines that are capable of um, producing pour-over quality uh, coffee. Um, you, can, you can check them out online. I mean, this machine is made out of, I think, aero, aerospace grade aluminum and hand-blown borosilicate glass. Wow. And it's, it's an aesthetic work of beauty on my counter right now. Um, and uh, that was getting that, I think, uh, late last year was um, sort of a, um, a gift uh, to myself for uh, reaching some of the milestones that we did in the business. Donnie had uh, uh, something that he got as well. Um, that he can share about, but that I'll plug that machine. It's, it's very, um, it's a bit bougie, but I love that <laughs> machine. <laughs> uh oh, uh oh, you're crossing the line now. <laughs> I know. See, see, I'm starting to, I'm starting to wander off. A little bit. <laughs> Let's bring it down. Let's bring it down to the E5 level. Okay. <laughs> I'm not expecting a, a new consumer to spend north of $800 on a coffee machine. <laughs> Well, it's been awesome to have you both. Thank you for so much for attending and for all of our listeners. Join us every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. You're listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, and get shit done. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.